Today is Saturday, October 20th, 2018. This is message number three of a weekend conference with our brother Ed Marks. The general subject of the conference is enjoying the riches of Christ for the building up of the church as the body of Christ. The title of message number three is enjoying Christ as the allotted portion of the saints for the building up of the church as the body of Christ. Scripture reading is Colossians chapter 1 verse 12, Exodus chapter 3 verse 8, Deuteronomy chapter 8 verses 7 through 10, chapter 26 verse 9. Well saints, I want to remind us uh, of what the footnote in Revelation 2-7 says, that the content of the church life depends upon our enjoyment of Christ. And the more we enjoy the Lord, the richer the content will be. So we need, to, we need to ask the Lord to increase our enjoyment of Christ. No matter how many years we've been here, we all feel that we need to enjoy the Lord more so that the content of the church life can be richer. Okay, as we read, uh, the title of the meeting tonight is Enjoying Christ as the Allotted Portion of the Saints for the building up of the church as the body of Christ. This comes from Colossians 1, 12 and 13, which I'll read this to you. It says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. All of us are qualified for a share of the allotted portion of the saints in the light. Then verse 13 says, who delivered us out of the authority of darkness and transferred us. Praise the Lord, we had a divine transfer. He transferred us into the, out of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of His love. So we've been transferred. And we've been transferred into Christ as the good land. He's the reality of the good land uh, in the Old Testament. If you look at Exodus 3.8, He says, I have come down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that, out of that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. So, uh, this land that Christ, who Christ is in our spirit, he's a land flowing with milk and honey. And we'll see the significance of that as we go through the outline. Now, uh, before we get into the outline, let me just mention this, that Christ is our portion of the good land in the divine light and in the divine love. It says he's the allotted portion of the saints in the light, in the light. So uh, when they got into the good land, each of them got a portion of the good land. They got a lot, L-O-T, not a lot, but they, got, they did get a lot. But they got a lot of the good land, a portion of the good land. So we all have our portion of Christ. And that portion of Christ we enjoy is in the divine light and in the divine love. So his kingdom is a kingdom of light and a kingdom of love. As light, he rules in us. As love, he rules in us. Isn't that wonderful? Who rules in us? The ruling presence of God rules in us as light and love. So you have the authority of darkness mentioned here in Colossians 1.13, which 
we could say is the control of the self. When you're under the control of the self, you're in the authority of darkness. And the control of the self is our natural thought, our emotion, our preference, our behavior, our good behavior, our bad behavior, versus the kingdom of light. Saints, we are in a kingdom of light. A kingdom of light. And uh, if we're going to uh, enjoy Christ as our portion, we need to be in the light. And if we need to be in the light, we need to know the sources of light. The sources of light. First John 1 John 1.5 says, God is light. And in him is no portion, at all, no darkness at all. Right? No darkness at all. So, uh, we need to be in God to enjoy Christ as our portion. In John 8.12, the Lord says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So the life of Christ is light. Also, Christ himself is light. He says, I am the light of the world. So you have God is light, Christ is light, and the life of Christ is light. Uh, so we need to enjoy all of these uh, aspects of light, of light. Also, the saints are the light. This room is full of light tonight. When you get with the saints, you are in the light. You can enjoy Christ as your allotted portion. Also, the Word is the light. In Psalm 119, uh, you, look at, you look at verse, I believe, 105 and 130. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Then it says, the opening of your words, when... when, when uh, when we testify, when we're in all kinds of meetings, and the word is open to us, the opening of the word gives light. And it says, imparting understanding to the complicated. Right? What does it say? Imparting understanding to the simple. Right? We need to be simple, right? Not complicated. We need to be simple, childlike believers. Now I love I love Luke eleven thirty four through thirty six because this says if your eye is single your whole body will be full of light and the eye there signifies our heart the body there signifies our whole being so if our heart is single for the Lord our whole being will be it uses this term in the scripture I like this full of light we need to pray Lord make me a person full of light. And it says this in Luke eleven thirty four through 36. It says, not having any dark part. I love that. We should pray, Lord, I don't want to have any dark part in my being. I want to be full of light, full of light. So we are under the rule of the loving and lovable Lord Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? We're under the rule of the loving Lord Jesus and the lovable Lord Jesus. We're restricted and in the sweetness of his divine love. This is why we say, Lord Jesus, I love you. This is why 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 14 and 15 says the love of Christ constrains us. It constrains us that we would no longer live to ourselves, but to him who died for us and has been raised. So we're constricted by the divine love. We're, we're, this, this Greek word constrains means to press on from all sides. 
It means to forcibly limit us. And many times we might feel like, I want to retire from the church life, but uh, this love inside you will not let you retire. Will not let you retire. It forcibly limits you to live to Christ, to live to Christ. And you know, living to the Lord is a little bit different than living for the Lord. We need to live for the Lord, but we, li- we need to ultimately live to the Lord. Live to the Lord. What does it mean to live to the Lord? It means we live for His desire. We live for His preferences. We live for His likes. Uh, we live for his, uh, his feelings. You see, it's possible you can live for the Lord, but you're not for what He likes. You're not for what he prefers. Uh, you're not for what he cares for. You're for what you care for. And so you have a relationship with the Lord instead of living to the Lord and caring for what he cares for, caring for his preference, caring for his likes and dislikes. We care for our own likes. And so when even that affects our prayer life. So we need to live to the Lord. And to give you an example of this, uh, you, all, you, you heard me tell this story before, but if you're going to live, let's say here's John DePaulo. If I'm going to live to John DePaulo, I have to I have to do things according to his likes, according to his pleasures. If I'm going to uh, if I'm going to uh, make a meal for him, I have to know what he likes. I can't just make su- sea cucumber for him. I don't know if you've ever had sea cucumber. Maybe maybe some of you have had sea cucumber. How many of you had? You like it, right? I don't like it. I don't like it. I've had it twice. I've had it twice, and it tastes to me like a tire. You know what I mean? It's so thick, and and some people really like it, and and you like it, sister. A number of us like it in here. Uh, I'm I'm not saying anything against you. That's wonderful that you like it. But if you're gonna live to me. Don't make me see cucumber. <laughs> well, well, one time I was with Brother Lee, and uh, I asked him, I said, after we got done working together, I said, Brother Lee, uh, the brothers want to know if you can have lunch with them today, lunch with us. He said, oh, that sounds really good, Ed. And he said, Sister Lee, Ed wants me to go to lunch with him with the brothers. She said, okay, you can go. He, he said, praise the Lord. So we were walking down Ball Road together, and we came into the kitchen area, and we sat down, and this sister saw Brother Lee, and she said, oh, my goodness, Brother Lee's here. I need to cook him some special food. So she went back and cooked him some health, quote, quote, health food. You know, I don't know what that was, you know, sprouts and stuff like that. And I'm not against that. Neither is Brother Lee, of course. Uh, anyway, uh, she cooked him some very healthy food, and she put it in front of him, and listen to what he said. He said, Sister, you love me with no revelation. He said, I want a hamburger. <laughs> because all the brothers were eating hamburgers. He wanted to be one with the brothers. And if you were going to live to him in that moment, you had to serve him a hamburger. Because that was probably his hamburger for the year. For maybe the next five years. Who knows, you know. 
Anyway, I helped him get a hamburger, and I said, what do you want on it, brother? He said, put everything on it, Ed. Put everything on it. Anyway, it was really, really precious to me. It, it, it showed me what it is to live to someone rather than merely live for someone. You see, we have to live to the Lord, live for his likes, his preferences, his desires, uh, his joys, uh, what he prefers, what he prefers. So we're constrained by the love of Christ to live to the Lord. Now, A says, under this, it says, the allotted portion refers to the lot of the inheritance as illustrated by the allotment of the good land of Canaan given to the children of Israel for their inheritance. This is Joshua 14, verse 1. Uh, They were all given a portion of the good land for their inheritance. Now, saints, we need to pray that the Lord would enlarge our portion Enlarge our borders. There's, a, there's a, some verses in First Chronicles that maybe you can read later. First Chronicles 4, 9, and 10. It talks about this person named Jabez. Jabez. And Jabez, was his mother was in pain, giving him birth. And so she named him Jabez, which in the Hebrew means pain. Can you imagine that? You say, hi, Brother Cain. Brother Pain, right? I mean, it's, that's what his name meant, Pain. But it says in these verses, he was more honorable than the rest of his brothers because he prayed to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would richly bless me. Now, how, you know, I always expound this word when I pray it back to the Lord. I said, Lord, richly bless me with your presence. What other thing is higher than your presence, right? Richly bless me. Then he says, and enlarge my borders. Enlarge my borders of enjoying you. There's a footnote on this in the recovery version. I enlarge my borders of enjoying you. Enlarge my borders of serving you to people, even. Uh, we need him to enlarge our borders. We need, it, we need his hand to be with us. And may your hand be with me. If you look in the Old Testament, for the Lord's hand to be with us means that his spirit is with us. His spirit is with us. And then he said, and that you would so keep me from evil that it would not grieve me. So I love that prayer of Jabez, no doubt. And it says the Lord answered that prayer. In 1 Chronicles 4, 9, and 10, the Lord heard his prayer and answered his prayer. That's a wonderful prayer to pray. Wonderful prayer to pray. You know, I would like to mention this again in Genesis 13. After Lot separated from Abraham, uh, the Lord told Abraham to look on the land. He said, I want you to look at, the, look at this good land. I want you to look at it. And, uh, you know, I kind of liken it to, I kind of think of my, when my oldest boy, when he was a little boy, we were staying at this farmhouse in western Kansas. And there were just wheat fields everywhere, except for the farmhouse, you know. And so I took him out in the wheat fields I said, what do you see out there? He says, nothing. Then I turned him this way. What do you see? Nothing. What do you see? Nothing. Nothing. He didn't see anything. I saw an ocean of wheat. You know, it depends on your view, right? So the Lord told Abraham, look to the north. Look to the south. He turned him all around. Look to the north. Look to the south. Look to the east. Look to the west. Then he said, all the land that you see, 
I will give it to you. So what does this mean? It means the Christ that we see is the Christ that we get. All the land that you see, I will give it to you. Then he says, now walk in the land. Walk in the land. So the Christ that we see is the Christ that we get. And then we walk in the Christ whom we see. We need to walk in the Christ whom we see. Now B says, the New Testament believers allotted portion, uh, allotted portion is not a physical land. It is the all-inclusive Christ as the life-giving spirit. So in Colossians, it tells us to that we've received Christ as the allotted portion of the saints, as the portion of, of the good land. It tells us to walk in Christ, which means we need to walk in him as the land. It tells us we're rooted in Christ, which means we need to send our roots deep into Christ so that we can absorb him. We need to have a lot of hidden contact with him. In Galatians 3.14, it speaks about the blessing of Abraham. And the blessing of Abraham is the promise of the Spirit. Actually, the blessing of Abraham in Galatians 3.14 is the Spirit. The all-inclusive Spirit, the all-inclusive Christ as the all-inclusive Spirit who is our all-inclusive land. That is the blessing of Abraham. And saints, if you're going to get the blessing of Abraham, you have to be a son of Abraham. Now, I would like to say something to you. I'd like to speak the truth to you tonight. You are a son of Abraham. Galatians 3 tells us this. And I always wondered, how could I be a son of Abraham? Well, it says in Galatians 3, it says Christ is the seed of Abraham. Not seeds, but seed. But then it says, but if you are of Christ, you also are the seed of Abraham. You are the sons of Abraham. And when it says seed, seed means son or descendant. So to be of the seed of Abraham is to be a son of Abraham, is to be a descendant of Abraham. Now, when when Christ was born, he was the seed of Abraham. But when he resurrected, listen to this, he is now the transfigured seed of Abraham. He's the life-giving spirit. The life-giving spirit is the transfigured seed of Abraham. That transfigured seed of Abraham came into our spirit, making us the the sons of Abraham. So we are sons of Abraham. We are qualified to inherit the spirit as the all-inclusive land. Isn't that wonderful? I just, man, when I read that in the ministry, I was just in awe that Christ is the transfigured seed of Abraham. So saints, again, we need to walk in him. We need to be rooted in him. And the ministry tells us this. I like this utterance. Uh, It tells us to take time to absorb him. Take time to absorb him. We've got a hymn in our hymnal. I think it says, take time to behold him, which is very good, very good. But even better, take time to absorb him, to absorb him. That means you have a lot of hidden contact with him. Uh, You have a lot of hidden time with him where you absorb his riches as the land. You're rooted in him. You know, uh, we we need a root system in Christ, a lot of hidden growth. 
if you come to my house and I have a nice plant, I don't pick it up and say, take it from the root and say, look at this plant. Isn't it beautiful? Look at the roots. I, I would kill the plant, right? Well, our root system, we have to be rooted in Christ with a rich root system in him as the land. Now, we've, we've quoted this before. This is a frameable quote, but I love it. It says, the highest profession on earth. Now, what is the highest profession on earth? It's to spend time being infused with God so that you can glow, G-L-O-W, with God and shine forth God. That's the highest profession on earth. It's to spend time being infused with God so that you can glow with God and shine forth God. Okay, then, of course, Romans 8, 1, Romans 8, 4 says that we need to walk according to the Spirit. Walk according to the mingled Spirit. The Spirit mingled with our Spirit as one Spirit. We need to live, move, and have our being in this Spirit. This is the central and crucial point in the entire New Testament. We need to walk according to the Spirit. Now, one says, the riches of the good land typify the unsearchable riches of Christ in different aspects as the bountiful supply to his believers in his spirit. So in Deuteronomy 8, 7 through 10, you've got all the riches of the good land in just these few verses. And we have a book in our book room called The All-Inclusive Christ. I encourage you, if you have not read that book, to get a copy of it and read it. You will be in awe. If you have read it, get a copy of it and read it again. You will still be in awe. You will still be in awe. In the church in Anaheim, we're reading through this book. This is part of our reading program. We're reading the all-inclusive Christ. Ruth brought it with her. And she's, she's reading it again. Now, in Deuteronomy 8, 7 through 10, it says, Jehovah your God is bringing you to a good land, a land of water brooks, of springs and of fountains, flowing forth in valleys and in mountains, a land of wheat and barley. And we're going to focus on the produce of the land here. A land of wheat, a land of barley, a land of vines, a land of fig trees, and a land of pomegranates, a land of olive trees with oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity. Now listen to this phrase. You will not lack anything in it. Hallelujah. You will not lack anything in it. A land whose stones are iron and from whose mountains you can mine copper. And you shall eat and be satisfied and you shall bless Jehovah your God for the good land which he has given you. Okay, now we come to two. Two says, by enjoying the riches of the land, the believers in Christ are built up to be Christ's body as the house of God and the kingdom of God. Of course, in the good land, the temple was built, right? That's the house of God. And the city was built, the wall of the city, and the city itself was built around the temple. That's the kingdom of God. So, how does the house of God and the kingdom of God come into being It comes into being by us enjoying Christ as the riches of the good land. Then then what comes forth 
is the church as the house of God for his expression, the church as the kingdom of God for his rule and for his dominion. For his dominion. This, this fulfills God's original purpose. You know, I like Romans fourteen seventeen. It says, The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and what? Joy. And joy where? In the Holy Spirit. So, saints, we have to consider what is our joy factor. You know, with a car, you check the oil, right? You check the oil. You, you, people still check their oil, right? We need to check our how much joy is in there, right? How much, how much joy is in there? We need more joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, how do you get joy in the Holy Spirit? Very simple. No one can say, Lord Jesus, except in the Holy Spirit. So when you call on the Lord, when you say, Lord Jesus, you get joy in the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus. <laughs> okay. Now we come to Roman numeral two. The purpose of God's calling is to bring God's chosen people into the enjoyment of the all-inclusive Christ typified by the good land flowing with milk and honey. Now, um, again, this is our calling to bring us into the enjoyment of the all-inclusive Christ, typified by the good land flowing with milk and honey. You know, saints, uh, there's a note in 1 Corinthians where, of course, the church in Corinth had a lot of problems, but the way Paul addressed their problems was to bring them into the enjoyment of Christ. He knew that the only way their problems will be solved is by enjoying the Lord, is by enjoying the Lord. And there's a, there's a note on this, and I like what this note says. It says, we should concentrate on him, not on any persons, matters, or things other than him, that all the problems in the church might be solved. We should concentrate on Christ. Don't concentrate on any person other than Christ. Don't concentrate on any matter other than Christ. Don't concentrate on anything other than Christ. Concentrate your being on Christ. And you will never be disappointed. Saints, forgive me. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm quoting Brother Lee because I, I, you know, we were with him. And, and I, anyway, I served with him, helped him. And he said something that really touched me one time. He said, we shouldn't take the way of the Lord's recovery because of any person. And we shouldn't leave this way because of any person. Why? Because we are being controlled by the heavenly vision of God's eternal economy. We take this way because we've seen a vision. We've seen the heavenly vision. Paul said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. And we shouldn't leave this way because of any person. Even if the person is, we're very close to them and we respect them very much, we, we are taking this way regardless of who takes this way. Because we have seen the vision of God's eternal economy. Now, 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful. It starts out with God is faithful. And I like what the ministry points out here. What does it mean to say God is faithful? God is faithful. You get a new car, God is faithful. You get a good grade, God is faithful. Uh, you graduate 
You graduate from college. God is faithful. How about you get a flat tire? Is God faithful? He's still faithful. He's still faithful. What does it mean for God to be faithful? It means that God is faithful to take away all of our idols. I-D-O-L-S. He's faithful to take away all of our idols. You know, our peace, our security, our health, the things we possess, they can become idols to us. It's not that we don't care for our peace, our security, our health, and our possessions. But our peace, our health, our security, our possessions can become idols to us. And God is faithful not to let those things become idols to us. That's his faithfulness to us, right? We shouldn't love anyone or anything more than him. We shouldn't allow anything to come in as a substitute for Christ. That is an idol, right? So God is faithful to take away all of our idols and to lead us into the enjoyment of himself. Because right after that it says, Through whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Of course, the fellowship of his Son there, we can define fellowship as, uh, it's the Greek word koinonia, which means joint participation, but it also means joint enjoyment. We are enjoying the Lord together tonight, right? So he's faithful to bring us into the church life to bring us to the meetings where we can enjoy the Lord. Much better than sea cucumber, right? <laughs> okay. Praise the Lord. I'm amazed that I had it twice. I had it once and then I had it again. Just to be one with the brothers. Okay, A says... Milk and honey, listen to this, which are the mingling of both the animal life and the vegetable life, are two aspects of the life of Christ, the redeeming aspect and the generating aspect. So milk is made by cows eating grass, and they produce milk. So you have the redeeming aspect with the animal life and the generating aspect with the plant life. Now, how is honey produced? It's produced by bees, bees, you know, going from flower to flower. So you have bees, the animal life. You have flowers, which are the vegetable life, right? So the, uh, the animal life signifies the redeeming aspect of Christ's life. The vegetable life signifies the generating aspect of Christ's life. When we say a land flowing with milk and honey... What we are saying is, he is a land flowing with God's full salvation. Judicial redemption and organic salvation. He is flowing with milk and honey. And of course, we know his judicial, through his judicial redemption, we have the forgiveness of sins. Aren't you glad you're forgiven of your sins? Praise the Lord. We have the washing of, away of our sins. We have justification by God, which means that we've been approved by God according to his standard of righteousness, which means that Christ is our righteousness. We've been reconciled to God. We used to be enemies of God, but now we are like Abraham because we are the sons of Abraham. We are like Abraham, and we are the friends of God. Three times in the Bible, it says Abraham was the friend of God. 
Isn't that wonderful that God is your friend? I mean, he's so many things. But just think about this one thing. He's your friend. You can talk to him. You can open to him. You know, with your friend, you can talk to your friend about things you can't talk to other people about. We can talk to the Lord about anything that's troubling us, anything that's bothering us, our anxieties, our troubles, our joys, even our joys. We can say, oh, Lord, I'm so thankful for this day. Thank you for this day. You know, one time, uh, Charles Spurgeon, who was uh, back in the, in the 19th century, he was really used by the Lord then at that time. He was riding a horse with one of his colleagues. And all of a sudden, he stopped his horse. He got down from his horse, and his colleague asked him, what are you doing? He said, let's kneel down right now and thank the Lord for this horse ride. Thank the Lord that we could ride these horses on this beautiful day. I enjoyed that very much, very much. We need to thank the Lord. Thank the Lord for the good things. And you can graduate to the bad things. To all things, right? Okay, now there's much more than God's judicial redemption. There's God's organic salvation. Romans 5.10 says, If we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son to be made the friends of God, much more, I love those two words, much more, we will be saved in his life. And to be saved in his life is his organic salvation by which we are regenerated to receive God's life, by which we are sanctified to receive God's holy nature, by which we are renewed in receiving God's element, by which we are transformed in receiving God's being, by which we are conformed in receiving God's image, and by which we are glorified in receiving the glory of the triune God. And eventually we are exactly the same as he is in life and nature, but not in the Godhead. We are being sunized. We are being divinized. I like that word, divinized. Okay, B, I'm sorry. I, I read A. Then, then one says, I'll, I'll repeat this. I said this already. The redeeming aspect of Christ's life is for our judicial redemption. And the generating aspect of Christ's life is for our organic salvation. So when you take the table, when we take the table tomorrow, you have to realize that table signifies the good land flowing with milk and honey, flowing with judicial redemption and organic salvation. It's really wonderful. Okay, two says the symbols of the Lord's table. Of course, I, I just, I'm, I'm ahead of myself. The symbols of the Lord's table signify the redeeming and generating aspect of Christ's life for God's complete salvation. Thus, the good land has become a table, a feast for our enjoyment. For our enjoyment. Now, B says this. Before, before I read B, I would like to read you Song of Songs 4.11. This is talking about the seeker, the Lord's loving seeker. It says, your lips drip fresh honey, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. So her lips dripped with fresh honey. and Honey and milk were under her tongue. Now B says, by enjoying Christ as the land of milk and honey, we will be constituted with him as milk and honey. 
and our lips will drip with honey. And under our, under our tongue will be milk and honey. Will be honey and milk to dispense to the needy ones. Dispense to people who are in need. And of course, we're all needy ones, right? We all need milk. The Lord has milk and honey. And honey and milk needs to be stored under our tongue. Now, for this to be stored under our tongue, this comes from a long period of gathering, uh, inward activity, and careful storage. A long period of, of gathering, inward activity, and careful storage. We need to store him in our being as a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, Roman numeral 3 says, The good land is a land of wheat, typifying the limited Jesus, the one who was incarnated, crucified, and buried. Of course, if you're a grain, if a, you know, a grain of wheat is very limited, right? It's buried in the ground. So it, it, it has to endure limitation in order to reach its God-given organic potential. So um, the land of wheat typifies the limited Jesus. Aren't you glad Jesus isn't just unlimited? He was limited. Because all of us are in a limited situation, right? We're under God's limitation. The older we get, the more limited we get. And, uh, but the older we get, the more revelation we get. More limitation, more revelation. I think I've got this point on here later. Uh, anyway, let, let me read A. A says, in the midst of situations that limit us and press us, we may experience the Lord as a grain of wheat. Of course, John twelve twenty four says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless the grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Then he says, He who loves his soul life loses it. He who hates his soul life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. Then it says, If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there also my servant will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now, if we serve him, we need to follow him. Where do we follow him? We don't follow him this way. We follow him this way. We follow him into the ground to die to ourselves. Paul said, I die daily. That was his testimony. And uh, remember this brother in the office at Living Stream Ministry, he had a, a plaque on his wall. It says, just die one day at a time. I really like that. We need to die to ourselves, to our flesh, to the world, to Satan, one day at a time. I die daily. So in the midst of situations that limit us and press us, we may experience the Lord as a grain of wheat. A grain of wheat. You know, when it says in Acts 16, 7, it says when they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, yet the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. The Spirit of Jesus. Now, the Spirit of Jesus is the Spirit of a man with abundant strength for suffering. We have the Spirit of a man in us with abundant strength for suffering and for enduring limitation. We know this because when they went into Europe, when they went into Macedonia, a brass band wasn't waiting there for them. A prison was waiting there for them. Right, so they needed the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of a man 
with abundant strength for suffering. The spirit of a man who can endure any kind of limitation. You know, saints, um, I won't give my whole testimony. I'll give just part of it. But, you know, many of us, uh, we were saved. You know, we got regenerated. Regeneration can take place in an instant. But before that regeneration, things take place in our history that lead to that regeneration. You know what I mean? They take place like the Lord appears to you here. The Lord appears to you there. The Lord speaks to you here. Well, um, you know, for some reason, and I'm not encouraging you to do this, I was reading the, I read two books by this Russian author. His name is Dostoevsky. And um, uh, one of the, Okay, I won't get into all the... I don't want to teach a literature class here. But anyway, uh, one of the books is like this cosmic battle between God, Satan, and man in between. Man is in between God and Satan. And there was a a person in there, uh, a Russian Orthodox priest, who was brilliant. And he would talk about Christ. I would say... Wow, this is awesome. How can a man this smart talk about Christ? You know, because I thought to be smart and to be a Christian was an oxymoron. You know, you can't be smart and still be a Christian, right? Uh, But he would talk in this brilliant manner about Christ, and Christ was so lovely. And so the Lord used that as a step in my salvation. Later I got saved. But that that book uh, really spoke to me. Actually, one of Dostoevsky's book also spoke to Howard Agassi. Howard Agassi later got saved. He was in a literature class. I'm not, now I'm not advertising that you go out and read Dostoevsky. Uh, stay with the life studies and the ministry. Okay, now we've got plenty to read, right? Okay, but anyway, that was a step in my salvation. Well, anyway, when, when, uh, when Dick Taylor and I, we went to Moscow and... Uh, uh, we went to St. Petersburg from Moscow, which is about an eight-hour train ride. And we each had a compartment, you know, a, a two-bed compartment. And I only fit on half of the bed. And I realized Dick only fits on half of the bed. But Dick was just full of joy. He's pounding the wall saying, praise the Lord, Brother Ed. And so we're going to St. Petersburg. And as soon as we get off the bus, we're real tired. The saints give us a tour of St. Petersburg. And... Uh, they said, you know, at one point they said, you know, a lot of famous people are buried in that cemetery. And I said, who? They said, Tchaikovsky, Dostoevsky. I said, stop the bus. Stop the bus. So, Collie Joseph, and Collie Joseph was there, and Dick Taylor, and I, we went to Dostoevsky's grave. And on his tombstone, you know what's printed? John twelve twenty four. Wow, that touched me so deeply. John 12, 20, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. I felt like to a certain extent, I was his fruit, you know, to a certain extent. Anyway, so uh, that was very meaningful to me. Now, one says, when we contact the Lord in our limiting and restricting circumstances, we will realize that he is the infinite God who became a finite man And that there is power in him to bear any kind of limitation. Saints, when we are in limiting circumstances, 
you appreciate calling on the Lord more. You appreciate your spirit more, right? You appreciate pray reading more. It's not just a term to you. It's a lifeline to you, right? All these life practices are lifelines so that we can bear any kind of limitation. Now, two says, Christ our life is within us as a grain of wheat to live the life of the incarnated one, the limited one. He is our life to make us willing to be limited, to die and to be buried, to die and to be buried. Three says, if we contact the Lord, we will experience him as a grain of wheat. And in him, in him, we will be content with our situation. Isn't that wonderful? Are you content with your situation? You don't have to answer me. In him, we can be content with our situation. Paul said in Philippians 4, 11, 12, he said, I have learned in whatever circumstances I am to be content. Then he said this. He said, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. In everything and in all things, I have learned the secret. I love that phrase. I have learned the secret. Literally, that means in the Greek, I have been initiated. I've been initiated, which means initiated into a secret society. Now, Paul was initiated into the body of Christ, into the enjoyment of Christ, and he learned the secret of how to enjoy Christ in any circumstance, in any environment, and in any situation. And we need to learn that secret. Now, B says, considering himself the prisoner of Christ Jesus, apparently Paul was confined in a physical prison. Actually, he was imprisoned in Christ. So Ephesians 3.1, he says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. In Ephesians 4.1, he says, I am a prisoner in the Lord. So not only was he a, you know, he didn't consider himself a prisoner of the Roman Empire. He didn't consider that physical prison. He said, actually, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Actually, the prison I'm in is the Lord himself, is the Lord himself. And look at what C says. Eventually, every faithful lover of Christ will be imprisoned not only by Christ, but in Christ. The more we love him, the more we will be in him to such an extent that he becomes our prison where we can enjoy him to the uttermost. When you, when, you, when you love him to the uttermost, he becomes your prison where you can enjoy him to the uttermost. Him being your prison is not a negative thing. It is a positive thing. It's the place. He is the place where we can enjoy him to the uttermost. Now C says, oh, I, I read C, I'm sorry. Roman numeral 4 says, The good land is a land of barley, typifying the resurrected Christ. Barley is the first crop harvested in the good land, so it typifies the resurrected Christ. And this brings us to A, because barley ripens early, it is the first fruits of the harvest, a type of the resurrected Christ. B says, As the first fruits, Christ has become the bread of life. Hence, barley loaves signify Christ in resurrection as food to us. Then one says, you remember uh, when the Lord fed the 5,000 in John 6, 9, 
the Lord asked the disciples, or the disciples asked the Lord, how can we feed so many people? And the Lord said, well, what do you have? And he said, there's a little boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these for so many? Brothers and sisters, we have five barley loaves and two fish. But when you minister Christ as those barley loaves and two fish, it multiplies. He multiplies to meet the need of many people, of many people. Um, You know, one, I'll read one. The number five signifies responsibility. This indicates that the resurrected Christ is able to bear responsibility. Isn't that wonderful? Sometimes we feel, I just cannot bear this responsibility, Lord. But he can bear the responsibility in us and through us. Two says, as we feed on Christ as the barley loaves, we become a loaf of barley to feed others with the Christ whom we have experienced. Now I've got Judges 7, 13, and 14 here, which talk about Gideon and his 300 men. Gideon had 300 men that followed him. And they were against a vast host of Midianites, hundreds of thousands of Midianites against 300 men. You can imagine how Gideon felt. He just obeyed the Lord to do that. And uh, the Lord told Gideon, he said, if, you, uh, if you're uh, anxious about this, why don't you go down, sneak down to the camp of the Midianites with your attendant, And listen to what they're saying. Listen to this. It says, when Gideon came at that moment, a man was recounting a dream to his companions. And he said, I have just had a dream. There was this round loaf of barley bread. Praise the Lord. A round loaf of barley bread tumbling through the camp of Midian. And it came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and it turned it upside down. And the tent collapsed. And his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has delivered Midian and all the camp into his hand. Isn't that amazing? Listen, that round loaf of barley bread, I always feel that that, of course, barley signifies resurrection. And that signifies we are blent together into a round loaf of barley bread. This is a blended group of brothers and sisters who tumble through the camp of the enemy and turn his tents upside down. It's wonderful. Now, C says, in order to experience the wheat, the limited Jesus, we need to apply the barley, the unlimited Christ. We follow the limited Jesus in the power of the resurrected Christ. So in Hebrews, you have these two phrases, within the veil and outside the camp. The more we get within the veil in our spirit, the more we go outside the camp of religion. And religion means that it means to do anything without the presence of Christ. Whenever we do anything without the presence of Christ, we are in religion. We don't want to be in religion. We want to do everything in his presence. Now, D says we can do all things in the one who empowers us, because he is the resurrected and unlimited Christ. He said, I am able to do all things in him who empowers me. If you look at the Weiss translation, it says, I am able to do all things 
in him who constantly infuses strength in me. I like that. Him who constantly infuses strength in me. And Roman numeral 5 says, The good land is a land of vines, typifying the sacrifice in Christ. The Christ who sacrificed everything of himself, and out of his sacrifice, he produced new wine to cheer God and cheer man. Now in Judges 9.13, you have a parable of Jotham. I won't get into the whole story here. It says he's talking about the vine. He said, The vine said to them, Shall I leave my new wine, which cheers God and men, and go to wave over the other trees? Now, what is it to wave over the other trees? It's to have ambition for position. If you have ambition for position, you will lose your enjoyment of Christ and your function to supply others with Christ. You see, we want to be filled with him as the new wine to cheer God and to cheer man which means we make God happy and we make man happy by enjoying him as the new wine. Psalm 104 verse 15 talks about wine that cheers man's heart, oil that makes his face shine, and bread that sustains man's heart. So wine cheers our heart. Christ is the new wine, cheers our heart. Uh, A says, Christ is the wine producer sacrificing himself to produce wine to cheer God and others. Now, doesn't Christ cheer you? And he cheers God. He's the wine producer. If we contact the Christ typified by the vine and experience his sacrificing life, he will energize us to live a life of sacrifice, producing wine to make others and the Lord happy. Isn't that wonderful? And, you know, you know, some of the brothers feel that, maybe Andrew heard Brother Lee say this, but the last word Brother Lee said was sacrifice. Some of us have this as a plaque. He said sacrifice because we need to enjoy Christ as our sacrificing life. You know, the people that are the happiest in the church life are the ones who sacrifice themselves and who enjoy Christ as their sacrificing life. If you are, uh, you know, I remember when I was new, Ruth and I just got married, and I thought, why don't the saints invite me for dinner? They used to invite me for dinner all the time. No one invites me anymore. What's wrong? You know, and uh, the Lord said to me, he goes, the Lord impressed me, he said, you're not a baby anymore. Why don't you have the saints, why don't you have the saints over for dinner? Why don't you have them over for dinner? We didn't even have any chairs at that point. So I called a bunch of saints and said, come over for dinner. Then we went to Sears. Sears is bankrupt now, I think. Anyway, we went to Sears, and, <laughs> and we, bought, we bought a lot of metal chairs for the saints to sit on. I think we had a table, Ruth, right? We, at least we had a table. Anyway, but uh, we enjoyed the Lord doing that. We enjoyed the Lord. When you have saints over... You enjoy the Lord. You enjoy the Lord. Okay. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1.24, he said, We are fellow workers with you for your joy. In other words, we are fellow workers with you for your enjoyment of Christ. B says, 
in ourselves, we are not able to live a life of sacrifice, for our life is a natural life, a selfish life. One says, if we contact the Lord and experience his sacrificing life, he will energize and strengthen us to sacrifice for God and for others, and for others. Two says, the more we experience Christ as divine with his sacrificing life, the more we will be energized to sacrifice ourselves to make God and others happy. A says, we will be drunken with happiness, realizing that the happiest person is the one who is the most unselfish. The one who is the most unselfish. You know, um, Brother Lee was in Irving one time and I was with him in Irving. Then he went to New York to give a conference. So I went to New York to hear him give a conference. And he was already with us in Irving. So he said, Ed, what are you doing here? I said, Brother Lee, I'm a crazy lover of Jesus. I just came here to be under your ministry. He goes, oh, Brother Ed, you're too much, Brother Ed. You're doing something like that. He said, you're too much. But he was happy I was there. He was happy I was there. And, uh, and uh, this is just a little story or a little sidebar. You know, uh, he said, Ed, come here and sit down. We were having an elders meeting. Come here and sit next to me. And he wanted to give Benson a note. So he wrote Benson this note. Of course, I didn't look. Put it in an envelope. And he wrote something on the note. You know what was on the note? Listen, this is a God man. By the kindness of Brother Ed Marks. In other words, Benson, you're going to receive this by the kindness of Brother Ed Marks. Isn't that something? I said, wow, the kindness of Brother Ed Marks. <laughs> After I told the brothers that, they all began to put that on, on their notes, you know what I mean? By the kindness of Brother so-and-so. And Anyway, I don't think it was quite the same as when Brother Lee wrote it. Right. Okay, B says, we will bring happiness to those who contact us. And we will bring cheer to God. Cheer to God. Now, Roman numeral 6 says, the good land is a land of fig trees, signifying the sweetness and satisfaction of Christ as our supply. A says, Paul is a pattern of one who experienced and enjoyed the sweetness and satisfaction of Christ as his supply. He told the Philippians, he said, you are fellow partakers with me of grace, of grace. Grace is God in Christ as the spirit for our enjoyment. If you look in Vine's expository dictionary and you look up grace, it says that which occasions or causes pleasure or delight, pleasure or delight. So grace is the enjoyment of God in Christ as the Spirit to be our pleasure and to be our delight. And we want to be fellow partakers with Paul of grace, of grace. Actually, literally it means fellow partakers of my grace, fellow partakers of my grace. They were so one with Paul that they could partake of his grace, his grace. Of course, in Philippians, we pointed this out. Uh, again and again, the Philippians is a book on joy and rejoicing. Now, if you were in prison, just think about it. If you were in prison, would you write a book about telling the saints to rejoice in the Lord? And uh, 
again I say rejoice. In, in Philippians 3.1, I like this. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, for me, it is not irksome. But for you, it is safe. It is safe. When it says irksome there, what it means is for me, it is not wearisome, tedious, or troublesome. But for you, it is safe. That means to rejoice in the Lord is a safeguard to us and is a security to us. So saints, don't ever forget every day, say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Especially when you don't feel like it, say praise the Lord. We need to, we need to have a new vocabulary, right? B says, although Paul's desire was to depart and be with Christ, he was willing to remain in the flesh for the sake of the saints' progress and joy of the faith. Paul said in this, um, let me think, there's a life study in Philippians I can't remember the name of it. Um, anyway, it, it has these verses on it, Philippians 1, 21 through 26. And um, Paul had a desire to depart and be with Christ because he suffered so much. He suffered so much. And he said, I'm constrained between the two, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for this is far better, far better. Listen, when someone goes to be with the Lord, we need to remember this verse. They're in a place that's far better because they're closer to Christ than they were in this life. You see the point? It's far better. Paul said that. He says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And he said, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your joy, for your progress and joy of the faith. What this meant was that Paul was a champ. Progress means the growth in life. The joy of the faith means the enjoyment of Christ. This means that Paul was a channel of supply for the saints' growth in life and for the saints' enjoyment of Christ. And we need to pray, Lord, make me a channel of supply, Lord, for the saints' growth in life and for their enjoyment of Christ. You know, saints, it should make a difference whether we live on this earth or whether we go to be with the Lord. It should make a difference. It should make a difference, right? If we remain here or we go to be with the Lord, it should make a difference. If we're here by the Lord's mercy, we're still here. We should be here for the saints' growth in life and for their enjoyment of Christ. One time Francis Ball and I were with Brother Lee and we were we were confronting a, a major problem and so we just prayed and prayed and fellowshiped. And, and at one point, Brother Lee said this. He said, I wish Brother Nee was here. I wish Brother Nee was here. And I almost broke down and wept when he said that. He said, I wish Brother Nee was here. And I had this distinct consciousness, and I said this to Brother Lee. I said, Brother Lee, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're here. Because if he's there, Brother Nee is here. He's so one with Brother Nee that for him to be here was for Brother Nee to be here with us. Now one says, through Paul as a channel, the saints could experience Christ and have the progress and joy of the faith. Today there is an urgent need for channels of supply. If the saints are to experience Christ, 
Someone must serve as a channel of supply. Saints, I want to encourage us all to pray, Lord, make me a channel of supply, Lord. Make me a channel of supply. C says, Paul was a partaker of grace, and he rejoiced in the Lord greatly. He was happy in the Lord. Listen to this. And his happiness did not diminish as time went by. Saints, our happiness should not diminish as time goes by. It should, it should be greater and greater. Just like Proverbs 4.18 says, it says, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which grows brighter and brighter until the full day. Our path should be brighter and brighter, not dimmer and dimmer. Our happiness should not diminish as time goes by. Now, D says, through the body, Paul received the bountiful supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Grace is God in Christ as our enjoyment conveyed to us through the bountiful supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Okay, now Roman numeral 7 is quite precious. The good land is a land of pomegranates, typifying the fullness of life, the abundance and beauty of life, and the expression of the riches of life. So if you open up a pomegranate, you see the fullness of life. You see the abundance and beauty of life. You see the expression of the riches of life. So Christ is our real pomegranate. He's he's the fullness of life. He's the abundance and beauty of life. He's the expression of the riches of life. Now, in 1 Kings 7, uh, 18 through 20, it talks about the pillars in the temple. And at the top of the pillars, there's... There's uh, what verse 17 says is there's nets of checkerwork and wreaths of chainwork. Nets of checkerwork and wreaths of chainwork. And in those nets of checkerwork and wreaths of chainwork, there is lily work, L-I-L-Y, lily work and pomegranates and pomegranates. Which means that those nets of checkerwork and wreaths of chainwork signify our complicated and intermixed situation. Our situation is complicated. It's intermixed. Sometimes we pray, Lord, uncomplicate this situation. Unmix the situation. Then the Lord, it's more complicated. Gets more intermixed, right? Because it's in the midst of a complicated and intermixed situation that we grow Christ as the lily. As lily work. In other words, we live a simple, pure life of trusting in God in the midst of a complicated an intermixed situation. And we live a life of the beauty of life, the fullness of life, the abundance of life, and the expression of the riches of life in the midst of a complicated and intermixed situation. No matter how complicated and intermixed your situation is, it's so that you would live a simple and pure life of trusting in the Lord, and so that you would enjoy the Lord as the beauty of life, the abundance of life, the fullness of life, and the expression of life. Now look at A. Pomegranates and golden bells were on the bottom part of the high priest's robe, which signifies the church. Now what does this mean? I always wondered. I had to look this up in the ministry. What does this mean, pomegranates? There's so much in the word that we just take for granted, right? Pomegranates and golden bells. 
Well, what this means is, B says, the church should be full of life in her humanity. This is the significance of pomegranates made of linen. C says, the church has humanity for the expression of the fullness of life, and also divinity for the sounding of the golden bells. Saints, in every meeting, we enjoy the expression of the fullness of life, which is the pomegranates, and we enjoy the sounding of the golden bells. Of the golden bells. What does this mean? One says, the fullness of life is expressed in the church's humanity. But the voice of warning is expressed in the church's divinity. This is the golden bells. And so we were talking, we were fellowshiping before the meeting. There are five major warnings in the book of Hebrews. Every warning is a blessing to us. We can testify whenever we received a holy warning from the Lord through the ministry of the word or in the Bible, that, that, that word became a blessing to us. It was the sounding of the golden bells to us. You know, in Hebrews 4, it talks about the children of Israel. It says that, that uh, the ones that didn't make it into the good land, it said they didn't mix the word with faith. They didn't mix the word with faith, which means they didn't. You know, our spirit is a spirit of faith, according to 2 Corinthians 4.13. To mix the word with faith is to exercise our spirit to pray, read the word. Then we mix the word with faith, and the word becomes a part of our being and our constitution for us to enjoy Christ as the good land. Now, now, saints, the golden bells warned the priest not to be careless. In other words, when he was walking around in there, in the holy place, those golden bells were, were you know, sounding. He realized, I better not be careless. I better keep moving. I better, you know, I better, I better do my duty as a priest in the Lord's house, in the, in the church life, right? So two says, we first have the expression of the fullness of life and then the sounding of the golden bells. That is the speaking from the divinity of the church. Saints, don't we get, when the saints testify, not only do we get the abundance of the beauty of life from the saints, we also get, they don't realize it. You know, the saints don't realize when they share, you get warned by the Lord. Uh, like, like someone shares, oh, I just finished reading the whole Bible. And then you get convicted and say, oh, Lord, forgive me. I've stopped reading my Bible in a regular way. You see, that's a warning. That's a word of warning to us. It's precious to us. Okay, three says, the beauty of life expressed in our humanity and the divine sounding from the golden bells are signs of a proper church life. Isn't that wonderful? And again, Hebrews 4, 2, that's the verse. It says, the word heard did not profit them, not being mixed together with faith in those who heard. So we need to mix together the word with our spirit of faith. Then the good land will be real to us. Christ is the good land will be real to us. Okay, Roman numeral 8 says, The good land is a land of olive trees, typifying Christ as the one who was filled and anointed with the Spirit. A says, The olive tree's oil, typifying the Holy Spirit, is used to honor God and honor man. This is Judges 9.9. 9-9, it's used to honor God and honor man. 
The best way I can honor God is by walking according to the Spirit. The best way I can honor you is by ministering the Spirit to you. Likewise, you minister the Spirit to me, you honor me. You see, we honor God and we honor man. In 1 Samuel 2.30, I like what the Lord says through this prophet. He says, those who honor me, I will honor. So if we honor God, he honors us. Now one says, we cannot serve the Lord or help others without the Holy Spirit. Two says, in order to serve the Lord and help others, we must be filled with the Spirit. Saints, every day say, Lord, fill me with the Spirit. Fill me with the Spirit inwardly and fill me with the Spirit outwardly. I like to be filled with the Spirit inwardly as my drink. I like to be clothed with the Spirit outwardly as my economical power. Fill me with the Spirit, Lord. Then it says, only when we are filled with the Spirit can we honor God and honor others. B says, when we minister Christ to others, supplying them with oil, we are supplying them with God, gold. We're supplying them with gold. You know, it's, it's, it, it shares here in Zechariah 4, 11, and 12 that there's a lampstand there. And there's two olive trees on the sides of the lampstand. And it says this, uh, they empty the gold from themselves into the lampstand. It doesn't say the gold and oil. It says they empty the gold from themselves into the, into the lampstand. Of course, this is golden oil. This is liquid gold. That's what the Spirit is. The Spirit is liquid gold. Isn't that wonderful? So we need to be filled with God as gold and supply others with God as gold. One says we, should, we all should be olive trees emptying God from ourselves into others. Two says in this way oil will be provided to the needy ones by those who are olive trees, out of whom God is flowing. C says, as Christians, we are olive trees. Not in the sense of being separate trees, but in the sense of being branches of Christ, the unique olive tree. Although Christ is a unique olive tree, out from him many branches, many shoots have issued forth. These branches or shoots are the many olive trees on earth today. Now we know, according to Romans 11, 17, and 24, that when, when Christ was crucified, we were cut off from the wild olive tree, which is Adam. We were cut off from Adam, the wild olive tree, and we were grafted into the cultivated olive tree, which signifies Christ. Brothers and sisters, you have been grafted into Christ. He is the cultivated olive tree. You know what that means? That means all of his history is your history. If you're grafted into a tree, the history of that tree becomes your history. Right? So his history becomes our histories. And we become fellow partakers of the root of the fatness of the olive tree, which is the life sap of the olive tree or the life juice of the olive tree. And that life sap and that life juice is the life-giving spirit. Finally, we come to two. As branches of Christ, the unique olive tree, we need to supply others with oil, that is, with the spirit, 
so that they may be enlivened for God's unique testimony. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. We have plenty of time to share. This meeting ends at 8.30, so you have plenty of time to share. Now, uh, those of us who can stand, let's stand up and read the title of the message again with the exercise of our spirit. Enjoying Christ as the allotted portion of the saints for the building up of the church as the body of Christ. 